dim lights, please, thank you. It's like looking at the sun up there. It's fantastic for when you need it, but I, I stand in, I get glared, so getting old, I think. Good morning to you all again. It's lovely that we can be together. Um, I'll ask you to excuse me. Occasionally, I'm going to turn to look at the screen because I can't always read the verses upon the back screen. Now, those of you that uh, are at senior school, just to warn you, a couple of words to learn this morning. Uh, one's a Greek word and one's a Hebrew word. We're going to look at the word in Greek called dunamis and we're going to look in a, at the Hebrew, uh, a word called miod. So you'll see those as we go through the talk this morning, and hopefully that will just help you to understand. So at least when you go back to school, you say, oh, I've learnt the Greek word and I've learnt the Hebrew word, dunamis and miod. So we'll see how it goes. So we're going to look at the, the thought of the idea of strength this morning, but perhaps not always in the way that you think. We've got a bit of a journey because we're going to end up, so at the end... Um, we're going to end up with a, a rather good little DVD on the word miod, but we'll get there. But before we get there, we've got a bit of a journey to do, as we're going to look at this word strength. And we're going to start off in, in looking at it in the, the Greek. So, you notice there's two images up there. There's a picture of the world. I even managed to find a picture of the world where we've got the UK on it, which I thought was nice, because if you often look at pictures of the world, you always seem to have America, Central America, and that side of it. But I actually had a good look through the internet, and I finally found one that's actually got Europe and the UK rather than the more traditional view. Um, and that's on one side of the word strength, but on the other, we've got the cross. And we're going to spend quite a lot of time looking at the scriptures and understanding how God looks at this idea of strength as it applies to you and me in our lives, but we're also going to start by thinking about how perhaps the world looks at strength. Let's look at a dictionary definition first. So the word strength, if you look it up in a dictionary, it says the quality or state of being physically strong. So I put a muscle picture there, but you know it could have been something strong. But there's a second meaning that we can often use. These are the two most common main meanings, which is the capacity of an object or substance to withstand great force or pressure. And that there is a, a piece of concrete that's being squashed to see if it will withstand the pressure. And I mentioned in the, in the first service this morning about the idea that you know, all the bridges that we have and things that we build, the concrete has to have a certain strength. And that many years ago, when I was, I was a young man working as an engineer, I had to make concrete cubes, and we had to test them to see if they take the strength at seven days and at 28 days, because if they didn't, well, our bridges would fall down and our houses and our foundations wouldn't work. So I'm very good that there's a lot of engineers that understand about strength and with that being able to take the load that is put upon it. So if you have a foundation and you have to put a house on it, it has to take the load. So that's the second way that we look at strength. So that's, that's one view of it. Now, you can have a look at the words up there. I want to, first of all, give you... It's a very simplistic view, I know, but it's a very simplistic idea of how the world looks at the idea of strength, just in its very basic one. You've got a slide up there, it says physical strength will get you to the start line, whether that's all the training you do and that you build up the strength. This is just a, a, a slide emulation to a view of somebody that perhaps is running something like that, and it says that mental strength will get you to the finish line. And the idea often associated in, in the world with the thought of strength is the idea that it's something that comes from within. My strength. So if I'm going to be a distance runner, I've got to do the training, I've got to do all the things. But a lot of people will tell you, I, I once watched um, uh, on Netflix, I watched a thing about 
something called an Ironman. Some of you will know about this, where they, they have to do, they run a marathon, they swim miles, and then they have to cycle something like 100 miles. It, it's terrifying. And there was one DVD that I watched about a man that did 50, 50 of these in a row. And I watched how he just went through the, the sheer strain of his body going through running 26 miles every time, swimming, I can't remember, it was 6 miles or something, and cycling 100 miles every day, and he did it through all 50 states in America, 50 days in a row. And, and I was quite staggered. I was quite staggered in the sense of the, the capacity that human beings have got to be able to, to do that. But what was interesting was, is that I watched it, his body uh, was physically able to do most of it, but it was the battle of the mind, and it was strength. And so that was a, very much a worldview that this idea of strength is, comes from within. And I'm not, I'm not criticising it in a negative way, but I'm just saying that's how the world will often look. I know that you can look at strength, in, uh, that people can gain strength from other people's uh, example and from encouragement and help. I understand all those things. But in simple terms, the world tends to look at the idea of strength as what I can do, my inner resources, my inner, my inner ability to mentally and physically to achieve something. And that can be in all sorts of ways, you know, however you look at it. I'll give you the simple, very simple view of, of physical strength and mental strength to achieve something, whether it's running or whatever it is, but you can apply it in all sorts of ways. However, as we come together today, I really want to spend a bit more time with you thinking about how... God looks at the idea of strength in relation to you and I as Christians. And we're going to have a think about that. Now, um, we're going to work our way through these things. So those of you this morning, and you know who you are, those of you that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, my hope is, my joy would be that if every single person in this room knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal saviour, fantastic. But I want to just go through some scriptures to think about these things together and to look at this idea of strength. Now, I've given you a, a quotation there from Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, which says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you haven't got to pull your a bit. Um, some of you may be thinking, I sort of recognise that verse, but that's not quite how I remember it. Let me give you an alternative version. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you have got, oh, I know that verse now. Yeah, of course, that's the verse, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what we've got to be careful of is, is that when you look at the Scriptures, uh, and uh, dear Ray Markham sitting over there, and, you know, I've got to be right here, you have to look at the context. You have to look at what's going on around a verse that sort of gives you an idea. There's a lot more in it. There's context, history, and all sorts of things. But basically, what's being talked about before you get to this verse because a lot of people take this verse, and the trouble is they've got this worldview about strength and about being able to accomplish anything, and they take a verse like that, and they take it out of context, and they say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means I can achieve anything. And that's actually not what that verse in that passage is actually talking about. Because if some of you, if you were to look at Philippians chapter 4, you can if you want to, but the, the verses before it... 
It's Paul talking about the fact that in his circumstances in his life, and most of you remember Saul and Paul, how he was persecuted, how he was arrested, how he was hated, how he was shipwrecked, how he was beaten, how he was stoned, how he went and fearlessly, through God, we're going to see the strength that was given him by Christ Jesus, he preached the gospel and would not waver from the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is the Messiah, is the promised one, that he came into this world to deal with sin, that he died upon a cross and was crucified, and it's that and his resurrection that makes it possible for men and women, for people to be saved through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul just kept on that track for his entire those years when he served God, when his life was changed. We're going to look at Paul a bit later. But the context here is, it says, whether I was rich or poor, whether I was hungry or whether I was well-fed, I have learned that whatever my circumstances, to be content through Christ who strengthens me. So I can do all this, whatever my circumstances in life, whether they're difficult or good, happy or joyful, sad or whatever, that I can do this, that's what he was talking about, through him, Christ, who gives me strength. And that's a wonderful thing, that we we have to realise that the strength that we have comes from God. So there's a little quotation here, so that through him, we do not live the Christian life in our own power, but in God's. It is God's ability that makes us able to accomplish anything of value For apart from him, we can do nothing. It is his strength that makes us overcomers. Just have a think about that for a minute while I get this uh, drink of... It is actually only... um, It's not grape juice, it's... uh, (laughs) Blackcurrant juice. So, remember the worldview. Me. I can do it through my strength, through my mental ability, through my strength. But as Christians, we have a different view. We still have strengths and things physically, but we have a different view. And the view is is that the strength that we need to live our lives as Christians, which we're going to look at a bit more, and all the things associated with that, that strength comes from God. Quite often the scriptures talk about coming from Christ. So it's a strength that we need from God. Because if we try and do things in our own strength, and we're going to look at salvation in a moment, first of all, if we try and do things in our own strength and do not rely and rest upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and a right relationship with God through him, if we rely on our own strength rather than on the strength that comes from God, then we are going to struggle. We're going to find it very difficult. Because we have been changed. When God saved you, when you became a Christian, you then belonged to him and you live for him. We're going to think about that in a bit more detail in a moment. But basically, as we think about these things, it's the opposite. The power that we have, the strength that we have, doesn't come from us, in that sense. The ability to be content to live as a Christian for Christ in a very difficult world in which we live, with all the chaos and all the evil and all the things that are going on, comes from God. So you've got to ask yourself the question this morning, where is your strength coming from? Do you still feel that you've got this worldview about, I can do it all myself? Or do you realise that you have to actually 
surrender your heart and your lives. You've surrendered your heart, I'm sure, to the Lord Jesus, but you have to surrender your lives and rely on God's strength and God's help and God's blessing and God's peace and all of these things that he gives to you through Christ. Now, that's quite a big mind shift, isn't it? Because it's not the way that we think about things quite often, but to suddenly think, actually, can I live for God in his strength rather than in my strength? Because if, it, if I'm doing everything in my strength and I'm not exercising faith and wanting to walk with God, then that's not really bringing glory to him. We'll, we'll see that in a little while. I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but let's have a look at this word strength. So remember I said to you, um, those of you that want to learn a new word, the Greek word is dunamis, and it's used about 120 times in the New Testament, and loosely the word refers to strength or power or ability. And it's the root word for our English words, dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. So that's the word that we're going to start looking at before we get to another word, as I said, miod, which is Hebrew, that we're going to look at a bit later on. So when we talk about the word strength, normally in the New Testament, not exclusively, but normally we're going to be looking at this word dunamis and, and the idea, you've got the idea there, hold it in your mind, strength, power, ability, and we get like words dynamite, dynamo, and dynamic. So I'm going to start with a, a negative because we're looking at Romans chapter 5 here, verses 6 to 8. I'll just read the verses and then we can think about it. You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, and the word powerless there means without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we're going to think about that for a couple of moments, but the bit I want you to pick up is this. Some of you, I, I said this earlier again, that, that when I learnt these verses, um, I used to often read the authorised version, and, and that's why I remembered it when I was starting to prepare this PowerPoint, because the authorised, it says, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So I thought, oh yeah, right, without strength. And when I looked at the, uh, the, the, the NIV and the ESV and other translations, I saw that it was actually the word powerless. But it's right, it's okay, it's the right translation. Without strength is the same as, remember, dunamis, power, strength, ability. You can interchange the words, the thoughts. So when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. Now I just want you to think about that for a moment. I'm sure... Most of you, if not all of you, perhaps have realised that you can't save yourselves. It's not in your strength to say to God, God, I've lived a perfect life. God, I, I, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I do this and that. Because those are, if you like, if I can call them works... And there's a great verse in the Bible that says that by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'm sure all of us have appreciated that it's not of ourselves that we have... We haven't got the strength to save ourselves. Because if I was to give you the law, and look at the law, and say, well, here's the law, the Ten Commandments, if you looked in the Old Testament, and the do's and the don'ts, well, I know that we all fail them. And so every single one of us 
in our own strength would not, could not be saved by our own strength, by our own power. Can't do it. It's got to be of God. And the amazing thing is, is that when you were without strength, when you were, in God's eyes, viewed as ungodly, without God, sinful, doing that which displeased him, that which was wrong, that which was against him, he loved you. And he loved you so much that he was willing to send his son into this world to be the saviour of the world, to die for you, so that he might give you the strength to be saved, to be, belong to him. Do you know, sometimes, many of us, we sort of know this, you know, I, I, I'm 63 years old, and I, I, I was saved when I was, I gave my testimony a couple of weeks ago, you know, nine years old. But sometimes I need to be reminded just what it cost God to save me. And I hope each of you here in this room that you're in the good of this and that you just sometimes, we just need to stop and never ever forget the cost of our salvation. We couldn't save ourselves. We were powerless. We were without strength. And God stepped in and gave his son to be the saviour the one that died when I wasn't lovely, when I wasn't acceptable, that I stood condemned before God as a sinner, with all the things that I was capable of saying and thinking of doing. Even at nine, I was pretty awful. So what I'm saying is, is that God chose to do that great work because it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I hope every one of you this morning that knows the Lord Jesus as your saviour, just regularly, I need to do it every day really, just say thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for all that you endured in this world that culminated in that sacrifice upon that cross because I didn't have the strength to, make my, to save myself. I couldn't make myself right before God of my own strength. It needed that great work. It needed you, Lord Jesus, to do what you did. And that's the good news, that's the gospel, the good news, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we're going to look at that in a little bit more detail in a moment. But we didn't have the power, we didn't have the strength to save ourselves. It had to be of God, and it had to be through Christ, and it had to be in a way that showed the love of God. I quoted last uh, two weeks ago in, when we were looking at peace, the great verse, For God so loved the world that he gave, his, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life because of what Jesus has done. So we didn't have the power to do it. We didn't have the strength, but he did. And he did it so that we can be saved. You see, in Corinthians, Paul talks about um, the fact that uh, the, he looks at the various nations that basically divided it into two groups of people. There were the Jews and there were the Gentiles, or the pagans, or the Greeks. You can, they're interchangeable words. Basically, a person that is a, a Gentile, or a pagan, or a Greek, was a person that wasn't a Jew, in very, very simplistic terms. You're either a Jew or you weren't a Jew at that time. So he's talking there about these things that are going on, and he says, the Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Now, we started off a little earlier thinking about a, a, a worldview about self and about strength and being able to do these things. And if you look at the world in which we live today, gen- people would say, how can a person that said that he was the son of God 2,000 years ago have any relevance to me in 2019? And many people out there will say, doesn't mean anything to me. Jesus coming into the world, you say he's the son of God, him dying on the cross doesn't have any relevance to me. But to those of you in this room that know him and know the power of his salvation and the fact of his resurrection and the fact that he has changed your lives, to you, he is precious, he is wonderful, he is the centre of your lives. But to the world generally, as I said earlier, they, they use his name as a swear word. They belittle him and think nothing of him. Pains me sometimes when I, I, I hear him spoken about that because he's my saviour, he's my God. And yet that was the, the whole idea. Um, Nick, Nick helped me earlier because I, I, I couldn't remember where Paul was. Paul was preaching at a place called Athens. And he was on a place called Mars Hill and they loved to debate all sorts of new ideas and stuff. And he started talking to them about Jesus and about God and about all that had been done and about his death and his resurrection. And when they got to that bit, they said, back off, Paul, we don't want to hear about this. Somebody on a cross, how can that have any relevance? How can that help me? And they didn't want to hear. So one or two did, but in the main, they didn't want to hear about it. Well, they said, well, we might talk about it again with you sometime as a bit of a debate. So to the world, the idea of somebody dying on a cross is folly, it's foolishness. How can that have any relevance? And to the Jews at that time, to many of them, apart from those that obviously became disciples and followers of of the Lord Jesus, they said they, they couldn't understand it. You see, they were looking for a Messiah. God's promise one. In the scriptures, going through the Old Testament, God had made promises. And one of the promises was that one day, the Son of God, the Messiah was going to come and was going to bring in a kingdom Israel that was going to be powerful. At that time, they were under the Roman authority, they were under the oppressors, and they thought maybe if this is the Messiah, is he the one that's going to free them from Roman oppression? But you see, the Lord Jesus had to do something in terms of their relationship with God in their hearts before he could ever sort out them as a nation one day. He had to deal with the question of sin in their hearts. That the, the law, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments and the things we talked about before, that all condemned them. And that they, they, people like Paul, when he was a Pharisee, said, I've just got to obey the law, I've just got to be a good person, I've just got to be righteous with God because I'm following God by obeying his commandments. But as I said earlier... We can't obey the commandments, we fail. Do our best, but we'd fail. And so the Jews were looking for one that was going to be their Messiah, but the idea of, of somebody coming in that, that said he was the Son of God and dying upon a cross, well, that, that was a stumbling block, it tripped them up. How can our Messiah be somebody that's been arrested and been crucified and died? How can that make any sense? And so the, to the Jews, this idea it was a stumbling block. But you see, look, but to those who are called... Those of you in this room that know the Lord Jesus as your saviour, both Jews and Greeks, so it doesn't matter whether you were Jew or a Gentile, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about man's wisdom and how that God uses, a, uses an opposite term to say, well, you know, that the wisdom of men is, is, is less than, obviously God's not foolishness, but he uses that idea of opposite to say, 
is less than the foolishness of God. The idea is that God has chosen that the way of coming to him and having a relationship with him is through the Lord Jesus Christ and it's through his work and his salvation. It's those amazing and wonderful things. So, Christ, the power of God. So the strength that you and I have, the things that God has done in our lives is through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talked a lot about Paul here and there because obviously many of the New Testament letters were, by God's Holy Spirit, were written to Paul and uh, were written through Paul. And here in Timothy, Paul talks about the fact of how his life had been changed. And so he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Through, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. So there was Paul, a religious man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a perfect pedigree, uh, living for God, so he thought, persecuting those people that followed the Lord Jesus. They weren't called Christians at this point, by the way. They were called disciples or followers of the way. And there came that time when he was really moving up in religious circles because he was persecuting those people that believed on the Lord Jesus, his disciples, and he got letters of authority to go down to Damascus. And on the way down there, just before he got to Damascus, this great light shone. And you can read it in the book of the Acts, how that his life was changed because the one that spoke to him was Jesus, the one that he'd persecuted. And Paul's life was changed because all of a moment, all of a sudden, what had been happening, that he thought he was honouring God, that he was obeying God, that he was doing God's will in persecuting these people, it's like his eyes were open to the truth that Jesus really is the Son of God and that he had to come and that he had to die and that he had to be crucified and die, that he had to do all that first. He said, I was a blasphemer, persecutor and insolent. But it said that I want you to understand that this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to understand and accept that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Paul, when he had this revelation, suddenly realised that his life was changed and he, he wanted to thank God for the strength because you know Paul's life. As I talked earlier, he's been through a tough time. He had a difficult time in his life but he served faithfully and he wanted to continue to be faithful in these things because of what God had done in his life. Do you know, sometimes the most powerful testimony that you can give to another person, if, if you're speaking to somebody that's not a Christian, is to tell them what God has done in your life. Sometimes, just in conversation, your testimony and how that God has saved you and given you the strength to live for him in a difficult world, that testimony and that witness can be so powerful in touching the lives and the hearts of people that are questioning, that don't know where to turn to in a world that is chaotic. And sometimes your testimony can just be a blessing. So Paul always spoke about what God had done to him, when, uh, how God had changed him. Do you know, when Paul was, um, he was taken and he was going to be arrested in, um, in Jerusalem, and they were going to literally almost rip him apart. He was there, 
And when he started to talk about it, he told them about this, this event again. And he told them how God had changed his life through Jesus when he came to realise that, that it was Jesus who had died that was the Son of God. So Paul gave his testimony and never stopped speaking or preaching about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus and how that it had saved him and how that, that had touched his heart and that God had given him the strength, Christ, uh, I thank him, has given me the strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Because even though Paul was very aware of what he was, he was so grateful for what Jesus had done, even though it was going to be a cost to him. And you know, I, I, I say this, um, I'm sort of getting old enough to sort of look back through my life to realise that God is faithful and that becoming a Christian doesn't mean everything's going to be a bed of roses. doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, that there will be times when we have to learn in the circumstances of our lives to trust God and to have that strength from him. But one thing that I do know, like Paul, I know that God is faithful and that God is true and that his word is true and that that is the, the bedrock, that is the strength that I draw from Christ in my life, and I'm sure that that is the same for you, that I look back and I see the faithfulness of God, and I see in this world that it makes me more determined to want to be faithful to God my Saviour. We live in a world where people are looking for hope, they're looking for answers, and you have the answers to their needs by what you believe, by what you say, by the scriptures, by these things that you can reach out and touch the hearts of men and women. And it's down to God to save them, but be faithful in your witness. And so Paul, he never backed off from these things. So having looked at all those things about the fact that in one sense we didn't have strength to save ourselves and it had to be from God, the fact that we can have strength from God in Christ to, to live, to be content in whatever our circumstances how should that affect the way that we live our lives? How, how, does, how does that work? So here's a little verse from 1 Peter chapter 4. It's two verses. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One of the things that, that God wants of you is to be more Christ-like. Because God's great delight is in the person and the work of his Son. And that what the Lord Jesus did when he walked upon this earth was that he glorified God. He could say, uh, on one occasion in the, upper, in the upper room, and he was coming to the end of his time, he knew that the crucifixion was before him, yet he could say, I have glorified your name. And one of the things that God wants you and I to do is to be more like Christ. And in doing that, we seek to glorify his name by living for him. In whatever way, and whatever manner of service or gifting God has given us, that we have the strength to do it through God, because sometimes, as I said, you know, service isn't an easy thing. And using those gifts and abilities that God's given through the Holy Spirit isn't an easy thing. And we need that strength from God as we've learned. We can't do it in our own strength and our own power. But that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that we seek to glorify 
our Saviour. We seek to glorify God by our lives and by what we do. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? It's quite a challenge that, you know, what, what, what are the important things in your life? I know we've got to do all the practical things. I, I know we've, you know, those of us that have got families are bringing them up, and I know we've got work, and we've got all those stresses and strains going on in our lives. But around all that, is there that bedrock joy and confidence and strength from God that we want to live for him and we want to glorify him in our lives and we want to honour him. Now, I know it's easy saying these words, me standing here and just saying these things to you. And it's a challenge to my heart about, do I do that? Do I live in a way that honours the Lord Jesus? Do I live in a way that is glorifying? Am I becoming more Christ-like? I'm sure half the time I feel like I'm a, a total failure. And yet God loves me. And he gave everything so that I might have a relationship with him as my father and Jesus as my saviour and the Holy Spirit indwelling. And he did that for you. Every one of you. Gave you that salvation. Pours out his love and his strength into your hearts day by day, hour by hour. These are are wonderful things that God has done. So in the light of all that, we've been looking at this word strength or dunamis. We're going to get into the last word that we're going to learn about, which is the Hebrew word miod. Now, I'm not going to talk about it. We're going to, have to watch a DVD in about two minutes' time uh, about it. I don't want to spoil the DVD because it's, it's, it's very good and it explains the word miod. But I just want to look at the context. I just remind you of what God's done. He saved you. What God's done that you live for him. What God's done that ultimately, when you come to this verse, if you were just living according to the Ten Commandments and it said, you know, what there was a question, what's the greatest commandment? And the Lord Jesus answered about loving God. But then this, on this one, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. It's, he said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, if somebody said, that's what I've got to do, and I wasn't a Christian, I can't do it. We've already learned, I can't do it in my own strength. I would be condemned by the commandments, but the idea of living and loving God with all that I am, as we're going to see in a moment, is because of what God has done in our lives. So there's a sense in which we can do this, and this little video is going to help to understand it. So I hope that that as you think about strength, whether it's the dynamic strength of dunamos, how we live our lives, that it's through Christ and what he has done, when we didn't have strength, he saved us. When we do have strength through him, that we can live for him, we can serve him, that we appreciate this, that he is the one that ought to be central in our lives. But then we come to this final big challenge of miod, the word strength there, and we're going to see a video now that's going to just help us to understand it, that it may be a blessing to you all as you live for Christ and seek to glorify him in your lives. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the last word, strength. The Hebrew word is ma'od, and it occurs some 300 times in the scriptures, and it doesn't actually mean strength. There is a perfectly good word for strength in Hebrew, and ma'od is not it. 
In fact, the Shema is one of the only places in the whole Bible where ma'od is translated as strength. So what's up with that? The most common meaning of ma'od is very or much. It's what grammar nerds call an adverb, a word that comes alongside other words to augment their meaning. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, God looks at the world that he's made and six times he calls it good. But then the climactic seventh time, he says, it is ma'od good. That is, very good. Later in Genesis, in the story of Noah, the flood waters keep rising and they become ma'od powerful or extremely powerful over the land. In the story of Cain and Abel, Cain wasn't just angry at his brother, he was ma'od angry. Or when Saul became the king of Israel, he was ma'od happy. So you can see why ma'od occurs hundreds of times in the Bible. It's a really common Hebrew word that intensifies the meaning of other words. Very this or really that. However, biblical authors could use ma'od in ways that are unique. Like when they want to increase a word's force to total capacity, they'll say ma'od twice. So Jacob became ma'od ma'od wealthy with flocks and camels and donkeys and servants. Or the Israelite spies went to investigate the promised land and they say, the land we pass through is ma'od ma'od good. So it's pretty clear, ma'od doesn't mean strength in terms of muscle power, but rather very or much. So let's come back to the Shema, where people are called to love God with all of their heart, that is their will and affections, and with all of their soul, that is their whole life and physical being, and with all of their ma'od, that is with all of their muchness. And while that sounds kind of funny, you also kind of get it. If ma'od can intensify any word's meaning to total capacity, then this final thing that you use to love God isn't a thing at all. It's actually everything. Loving God with your ma'od means devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity that you have to honoring God and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the most wide and expansive word in the Shema. Ma'od can refer to almost anything. Which raises one last and really fascinating point. Because this word was capable of many nuances of meaning, ancient Jewish communities interpreted ma'od in the Shema in different ways. So the ancient Jewish scholars who translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, when they came to ma'od in the Shema, they translated it with the Greek word dunamis, that is power or strength. This is the interpretation adopted by most modern translations. But if you look at the ancient Aramaic translations of the Hebrew Bible, you'll discover that these scholars interpreted ma'od to mean wealth. Money is a concrete thing that opens up all kinds of opportunities to love God by giving away resources. And when Jesus was asked about the most important command in scripture, he quoted the Shema. And he used two words to unpack the meaning of ma'od. He said, love God with all of your mind and with all of your power. Both are human capacities that can be used to love God in an infinite number of ways. So which of these interpretations of ma'od is right? Does it mean strength or wealth or mind? That's the wrong question. The word ma'od doesn't limit the number of ways you can show love for God, just the opposite. The point is that everything in a person's life, every moment and every opportunity, every ability and capacity offers a chance to love and honor the one who made you. It's a call to love God with all of your muchness. And that's the meaning of strength in the Shema.